This is Purple Radio On Demand. Thank you everyone for listening to the first episode of Pub Talk. Um, thank you to Charlie, thank you to Archie, and thank you to Mathieu for some excellent expert commentary. Thanks for tuning in. Um, you can get in touch with us by uh, emailing pubtalkfootball at um, yahoo.com. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Pub Talk, the podcast that brings many people's two favourite pastimes together, football and casual drinking. My name is Gary Radis and I'm here with Charlie Dunn, Archie Hodgson and Mathieu Ryden and we take a look at Europe's best leagues outside the English Premier League, all the while while sampling a different beer per episode. Charlie's on a Liga man and uh, Archie, you're here for the, the Scottish Football Encyclopedia <laughs> and we've got Mathieu on the phone from Madrid uh, to talk about his beloved Liga and... Um, so Archie, Charlie, and I—we're all sitting here. Um, hi, guys. Hey. Good, good evening. Good Definitely not engineered. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hello, Mattia, on the on the old phone. Can you hear us? Hi, guys. I hope you can hear me well. Yeah, we can. Okay. Those beautiful, that beautiful voice. There we can. Um, and we've all got here a um, La Virgen. Would you call it? I would go with that. I think. Yeah. I think, I think, think it's, it's a subtle dig at Danny. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought I picked it out from the from the local Monoprix, um, not because it was one ninety nine, but because it was uh, a Madrid lager, in the hope that Mathieu would be able to find it. But um, I don't think he did. But I've already I've already let the team down, and I yeah. have not found it. So I'm sipping on a, a lovely pint of Mahu, which is the, uh, the staple beer here in Madrid. Uh, Love it. It's not as I need to go on, but I'm sorry. And how and how and how is it treating you so far? It's delightful, as always. It, it never lets you down. It's called Mahu Five Star for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Anyway, I think we should probably get on with it um, and yeah. uh, kick off with, I guess, while the line is okay, well, I guess we'll see by the end of time of uh, recording if it's okay, um, with uh, Ligue 1. And um, this weekend we had the um, the, Coupe de, um, the Coupe de France, the last 32. Um, yeah. And I had a look at the scores and the um, I think the most surprising score, most at least the the most interesting scoreline, was the one that uh, your team was involved in, um, Lyon, Mathieu. Thoughts on the game? Yeah. Well, we uh, we qualified in a in a cup for uh, it was four three away from home. Um, classic staple Lyon, really a good start. We went two 0 up early on. Um, we were four one up and, uh, in the second half, and then we just with five with two defensive mistakes in five minutes, we we made all our fans sweat in the last ten minutes. Uh, we were only doing 4-3, but we, we qualified. And uh, this was actually a big, big game for Leon Because uh, as a Leon fan, I can't really grasp how famous Ryan Shirky is uh, in the world of football just yet. Um, but I think that you will end up hearing about him. Um, and this was his huge breakout game. It's impossible to talk about this match without talking about him. Uh, he was quite simply directly involved in every single Leon goal. Uh, scored two and assisted two. He? Uh, he's had it, his first breakout season. He's, he's appeared in the Champions League and he's, uh, he's appeared in eight games so far. Um, and what's special about Ryan Shirky is that he is only 16 years old. Um, he recently became the, uh, the youngest ever Lyon goalscorer uh, with the likes of Benzema and Lacazette who were on that ranking. That's no mean feat. Um, so he just carried Lyon throughout the whole game. Um, and as a 16-year-old, that's quite impressive. And he just is growing and growing. Uh, and so with Leon having Memphis Depay and Jeff Renavillade injured, the fact that Ryan Shirky is already showing that he's stepping it up is, is a huge encouraging sign for what I can comfortably say is the most exciting young player I've ever seen at Leon. Um, and with our heritage of bringing big players through, that's, that is a, a big statement uh, and I really mean it. So mm-hmm. that, was, that will forever be Shirky's first big game for Leon and big performance. Uh, big, big special moment for us. Fair enough. And what, and what did you make of? I mean, we've obviously had quite a lot of experience. Um, all of us seeing Moussa Dembele, uh, obviously yeah. form, formerly of Fulham and Celtic. Um, yeah. In the uh, you know obviously playing well for Leon, and he's been touted with mo- moving away for like pretty much all the time. I don't know. And do you think <laughs> do you think he's going to stay much, uh, much further past the? Well, summer, I, I, I really, I really pray he's going to stay. Our chairman keeps repeating that he will stay. Um, basically, time. 
time is on our side in the sense that the more time goes, the less likely he is to leave because we would only let him leave if we are sure that we have a replacement for him. Um, with only 10 days left, um, I can't see him leaving uh, because, well, we just signed Toko Akambi from Villarreal um, on a loan. But the fact it's a six-month loan makes me think that this is more to, to try and replace Memphis Depay, who's injured long-term. And I just can't see us letting Dembele go, despite Chelsea and United uh, snooping in. Um, but hopefully, he um, he will stay. And he, he had a, a bit of a struggle in December. He had a, probably his worst month uh, as a Lyon player. Um, but since the new year, he has been well on form. Uh, he's been playing really, 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 really well. He's got a handful of goals already. And his partnership with Ryan Shirky in that game against Nantes was, was really good. Um, he missed the penalty and then a minute later to score again. Um, and he's been really solid. And Leon just can't afford to lose him right now. However, in the summer, I think it might be a bit more complicated. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I saw today, obviously, with the, the injury to Marcus Rashford, Manchester United have been linked with a, a 50 million euro move for Dembele. Do you think that sort of sum would be enough to test the board's resolve? Uh, no, no. I think 50 million, absolutely not. Um, the oh, thing is, in terms of money, Leon, Leon are, quite, are quite safe right now because this summer we sold Ferland Mendy for, for about £45 million. We sold Endon Bele for just over £60 million. Um, Leon, we would need a really, really special offer. Um, £50 million would not cut it. I think it would have to be our record sell. Um, and no, no, I, I don't think 50 million would be enough. I think we would start negotiating it around 75 million euros. Um, wow. And even then, I just, I just can't see it happening unless in those, in the 10 days we can find a replacement. Um, I think there's no reason that Dembele's value would not go up in the next five months. Uh, he's going to be leading everything for Leon in the next five months. So if everything goes to plan, his value will just rocket in the summer even more. And we need him in these five months. So I, I don't think 50 million is enough, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, moving on to um, just looking at the Coupe de France overall um, did you see any shocks yeah. I mean I, I saw that um, Nancy who used to be in the Ligue 1 I, I guess until quite recently they lost to 4th division side Belfort um, 3-1 yeah. but apart from that it seemed pretty straightforward for all the all the major major sides in the in the cup no? Yeah it was it was quite a disappointing weekend in terms of upsets um, Nancy losing was, was the special one Um I guess in the next round, well, Limonest, which is a fifth-tier team, uh, beats another fifth-tier team and have lined up a, a last 16 draw against Dijon, who are a League One side. Um, but to be honest, the biggest surprise was Lorient, who are, who are League Two leaders, who resisted against PSG for, I think it was 86 minutes. Um, and it was only a winner from Sarabia right at the end that qualified PSG. And um, Lorient really proved that their shout for promotion next year is a, is a credible one. And they did better than a lot of the second, you know, second tier teams in League One have done against PSG this year. Uh, so that was the biggest surprise. Um, yeah. PSG had had unsurprisingly some subs who were starting that game, and uh, for example, Paredes and Draxler just didn't prove anything. Uh, they have not made Thomas Tuchel ask himself any questions about the starting eleven going into into 2020. So uh, that was the biggest shock, really, that the Lorient held out so long against PSG. But no major upsets apart from Marseille yeah. going out. Um, but no League One teams faltered. Yeah. To, to be fair, quite unlike. I mean, quite uncommon. All things considered, I mean, you often get one of those shocks every now and then. Danny, you've seen yeah. uh, a couple of PSG games this year. Talking about PSG, how do you think they they stand in terms of for the title this year? Is it just a foregone conclusion that they're just going to chance everyone and win the league again? I mean, it's hard to look past their immense firepower and even if you look back to the beginning of the season when Neymar initially started off as being injured I remember and I was fortunate enough to go to the Real Madrid PSG match where Di Maria was just on absolute fire and honestly I hadn't really seen a performance like that and despite some appearances of frailties at the back I think they've got enough depth and now experience there Marquinhos has really developed into a great CDM for them as Kimpembe has pushed him somewhat out of centre-back and with that front three, or arguably front four they've got now that Icardi's joined them, I just can't see how any team is going to really post them because even if one or two of their star players are not performing at their, their level, they've still got enough star power and enough match winners within that squad and within that 11 or mm -hmm. 13 or 14 to go ahead and win any match, as was mm -hmm. shown earlier on in the season when they got a few scrappy wins and even on the weekend. They don't need to play their best to still get those results. 
which I think is um, vital if you're going to win a championship and a title. Yeah, and actually thinking thinking about obviously the biggest the bigger picture of um, the Champions League, which is obviously PSG's main goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll speak about Dortmund and how Dortmund are faring up. Um, who are PSG's next opponents? Do you think? Do you think they're you know a decent shot for for the Champions League title for to win it this year? I think if if you look at PSG's team on paper, there's no doubt that they should be there or thereabouts. Um, and I mean, you, you saw as as Donny said, he went and and saw them uh, dispatch Real Madrid so easily in the group mm-hmm. stages, and I think a result like that indicates it that they they do have the ability to go all of the way this year and in fact it's it's that uh, distraction in a way of Europe that that could cause them to slip up domestically I know mm-hmm. um, Marseille who are currently in second place uh, eight points behind PSG they don't have any European involvement after Christmas so that yeah I, I, I do think that if if PSG's focus really does turn to the Champions League Marseille will be there, uh, snapping at their heels, waiting to to pounce on any slip slip ups. Yeah, I mean Marseille have had their troubles, Mathieu, haven't they? But um, you kind of you kind of can't really see them doing much, I guess, in the long run. They'll, they'll probably challenge a bit, but not not significantly enough to 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 mount a serious title challenge. In the long run, absolutely not. Um, I agree with you. They've actually been they've actually been quite solid this year. They've been un- uninspiring, but they've unlike in previous years, they've been really consistent, um, winning pretty boring games, but winning them. Um, and they've not been exciting to watch, but they've managed to to just take advantage of a particularly poor League One this year. The level has been has been pretty poor, and it seems like Monaco and Lyon have had a, a disaster class. So. Marseille have been solid and have been consistent, and I think they will end up second. But I just can't see them challenging against PSG. Um, I was surprised actually looking at the table that they were only eight points behind because it's been a bit of a mess recently with, with games in hands and things like this. So everyone was a bit lost on on the points difference. And actually, with with PSG playing a few games to catch up, I was surprised it was only eight points. But to be very honest, I just can't see it happening. Um, but I wanted to mention something because you guys talked about the PSG game against Real Madrid in, in Paris. Um, yes. I was lucky enough to go to the Bernabeu to see the return game of that in the groups. Um, and it's touching on something what Dunny said. I think he mentioned how PSG were grinding out results. And the game in Madrid, Real Madrid just completely dominated that and were 2 0 up. And PSG were non existent. And in the last 10 minutes, scored two scrappy goals and got a point at the Bernabeu, drawing 2 0. And I think that proves what Donny was saying. The PSG have, have been particularly good this year at getting results when they weren't good. Um, and it's easy doing that against League One. It's less easy doing that against Real Madrid in the better level. So that's yeah. encouraging to them. And that's definitely something they've, they've, they've probably struggled to do over the past couple of seasons is that is probably having that cutting edge that even when they're not playing particularly well um, to, to kind of get over the line. And, and, and I mean, that's probably one of the most crucial aspects of Champions League football, I guess, to just kind of stick in there and get past the difficult away games. Speaking of Madrid, yeah, I and I guess we've had, you know, spent quite a lot on, on the, of time on the old league one, but we should probably move on to La Liga. But before that, we've got the Madrid Lager. I've got Madrid Lager in my hand. <laughs> um, I mean, I must say, I don't know, um, for one ninety nine, it's okay. It's going down very well. It nicely, goes down yeah. very well, but um, I don't know. Your thoughts? No? I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's a slightly flatter beer. It's not, it's than, not, it's not like a fizzy lager. It's not vivacious, beer. is it? It's not, no, but <laughs> it's not bursting with life. Unfortunately, not, but perhaps from a virgin, that's what you'd expect. <laughs> to be fair, so, <laughs> that may well be the case. Um, Mathieu, how's your, how's your classic staple beer doing? As a classic always does, it's just not disappointing. It just uh, never I'm does. Getting through a bit too quickly, actually, it's, it's absolutely delightful. Yeah. Uh, There's no such thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's all right as long as it goes down nicely. I was slightly worried about. I mean, considering how hungover I was feeling on Monday morning, probably wasn't the best thing to drink. But I'm feeling very comfortable with this virgin in my hand. Probably. Anyway, we should move on to La Liga. Um, Charlie Dunn. Our little La Liga expert. Yeah. I guess there's only one place to start, although we have been talking about Madrid. Let's go to the other major city uh, in Spain and look at the, the sacking of Ernesto Valverde and Barcelona hiring um, ex uh, is it Real Betis boss, Kike yeah. Setien. Um, what do you think about that? So I think it's, I mean, it's remarkable when you think Barcelona is still top of the league and they won the last two leagues, um, or the t- last two league titles fairly comfortably, that it's led to this after just a couple of of bad performances more than anything it's less the results 
and more the performances. I think that is really exemplified by what Setien has come in and said, which is um, that he can guarantee one thing when he takes over a new club, and that's that they're going to play good football. He likes to think of himself as um, you know, someone who looked up to Cruyff and the style that he imposed on Barcelona mm-hmm. um, as a bit of inspiration. And although both and although Valverde theoretically was more successful in terms of the titles that he won as Barcelona manager, the impact that Cruyff had in terms of the football, or even Guardiola had the tick attack style mm-hmm. of play that he had, um, is something that Barcelona fans, players, and ultimately the club as a whole really want to get back to. Um, and I think the biggest problem or the Barcelona faced or the biggest criticism has been the style of play um, and a lot of that comes down to what appeared to be an over-reliance on Messi which is easily to do but that potentially has come at a cost in terms of Griezmann has been pushed out of position and is not playing anywhere near the level that he had been playing at for uh, Atletico Madrid and then you look at Coutinho and Dembele two other big name signings who have just not reached anywhere near the levels mm-hmm. that in Coutinho's case he had reached at Liverpool and in Dembele's case he had been tutored as potentially being able to reach you know after a season or two he's still struggling mm-hmm. um, to find his feet obviously the biggest talking point is probably that Xavi you know the club legend 869 appearances 85 goals wasn't picked um, but he actually came out afterwards and said that he just wasn't ready during the Supercopa um, in Saudi Arabia, both Abidal and the Barcelona CEO went over to meet Xavi three times, um, but it just seemed to be the wrong place at the wrong time. And in my in my mind, and I'm sure in all of your minds, there's no doubt that at some point Xavi mm. will eventually take over um, as the main man at Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, I can't see it. I don't know about Archie, how you think, feel about this, but I, I can't really see it. I know Setien kind of, I mean, he's very different in the sense of Valverde was more direct, more into, into Messi. Setien's idea is the whole possessive base, possession-based football. That's what they, they showed on the weekend in their 1-0 win. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really see him being more than, I guess, a two, three-year stopgap before Xavi is ready after, after leaving um, the Middle East. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I have to say this appointment... As a whole, came as a massive surprise. I think it's a big, big gamble because if if you look at Kiki Setien's track record in La Liga, he's he's had four seasons in it with Las Palmas and and Real Betis, and the best that his side has finished is sixth place. He's never won a trophy, and obviously Barcelona they expect to play free flowing attacking football. But at the end of the day, the fans also want trophies. That is the most important thing is to be winning silverware yeah. and as Charlie said Valverde he's won the Liga the last two seasons they're currently sitting joint top with Real Madrid they've qualified from a, a very difficult uh, Champions League group uh, top of the group so I think Valverde will feel very hard done by obviously the, the jury's still out on this one but yeah I, I do agree with you that uh, this will be a, a short term measure and I think Xavi once he's honed his skills for a few more years at Al Sadd, I think he'll be the man that they'll they'll see as the, the long-term yeah. future of the club. And Mathieu, do you think, I mean, I guess you're the guy in, in, in Madrid at the moment, or in Spain. Is that the is that the feeling in Spain, in, in, in Madrid, that, that for Barcelona at least, and I, I mean, I imagine Madrid aren't covering it super-duper heavily, but, um, <laughs> but they, um, but I feel like surely they also must feel at least similarly. Yeah, I think the genuine echoes are, uh, I think it, it agrees with what, what Arch and Donny have said, is that it's not so much that the Valverde was, was, was fired, because I think everyone expected that at some point, it's more the timing, and um, people were quite surprised um, that it happened then, um, and I think that, that Kike was a, is a stopgap, I think this is this is what a lot of people have been saying in conversation, is that's what's surprising, that they seem to just fire Valverde without having a 100% backup, and the fact that they couldn't get Xavi on board. It's kind of like they then had to turn to Setien, and people are surprised about that. But if I was to give my personal opinion, I, I was not a fan of Valverde at all. I think last season, after the Liverpool disaster, um, he he had to go because I agree with what Dani said: is that the style of play at Barcelona has just not been that. And there's been a messy dependence um, hmm. beyond anything in, like imaginable. And with that squad and with the type of players, Barcelona had to play better football. Um, and I don't think I think that with those kind of players, it was the type of football that would, on the long run, guarantee winning the Champions League. Because Messi can't 
bang a hat trick at the, at the Camp Nou every time against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and that's two years in a row, the big disaster against Roma and then the big disaster against Liverpool. Mm. Um, I don't see how he survived that in the first place. But it is strange that he was fired in January just after the, the Supercopa like that. Um, but we'll see, really. I think he's five months. Kike's got nothing to lose. So it could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess that ties into perhaps Barcelona looking to to sort of strengthen their title credentials or at least their, their, their chances of winning, I guess, I, I, how many titles is it in a row now? I mean, it's at least three or four. It's or, three or four, yeah. Um, yeah. Do, you, do you think... Charlie, that um, is is it is it going to be Barcelona again that that nick that nick it from Madrid? I guess it was it, it was pretty. I mean, as far as easy goes, it was pretty easy last year. The last two years yeah. have been a bit of um, a bit well, very dominant in fact. But obviously this year they are both tied, and it's Barca on top on goal difference. But I think it's interesting because if you look back at the beginning of the season, it was Zidane who was under threat. It was Mourinho who was going to come in, be the savior. The players wanted it. He's seemed to be that Perez um, wanted it up at the top but obviously it's not turned out that way I think mm. it was the Atletico Madrid result in the Super Cup that ultimately led to Valverde's dismissal because although it was one of their best performances of the season they did lose and I do think as Matthew touched upon it did just you know bring back those horrible memories of those nights against Roma and Liverpool and ultimately if you want to be competing in the Champions League you know for the Champions League title which is what both of these clubs in terms of Real Madrid and Barcelona want to be doing you can't be choking big leads um, in those sort of games mm-hmm. and in Real Madrid you can never discount them yeah. you know they again have superb firepower and they've arguably got the best or one of other than probably Lewandowski and arguably Haaland you know his recent emergence mm. but in Benzema they've got probably one of the most understated um, strikers in world football whose stats alone are unbelievable and it's only due to yeah. Messi and Ronaldo's brilliance that he's really flown under the radar mm. um, and they've obviously also got Bale Isco I mean they've got no they they've don't, they don't lack you know firepower themselves and then obviously I mean they're eight points ahead of Atletico yeah. but if any team's going to grind out and you know got the heart of a line it is Atletico led by Simeone so again yeah. you know potentially they're going to take less of an interest in the Champions League than mm. Barcelona and and Real Madrid, and that could lead to them potentially, you know, poaching a little, a little win at the end of the season. Yeah, I, th- I did see a, a, I did see a stat earlier today on the the Bible that is, well, I guess sport Bible, <laughs> the the altar, the, the beacon of all knowledge, um, that said that in the la- in, in Messi's last five hundred appearances, uh, he's scored five hundred goals and had two hundred assists, which is just silly. It's just it's phenomenal. Uh, just, just, I mean, even. Uh, I mean, there's probably a hat for the teams out there that have definitely not scored 700 goals in, in, in 500 games, never mind just one player. It's yeah. just utter, utter dominance. And it's actually like, it's almost startling to, to think that we've been in an era where, which has been dominated. I mean, obviously Ronaldo is slightly on the decline now, but by two phenomenal players. I mean, I guess probably, I mean, Real Madrid hoped that they might have caught the next big thing in their signing yesterday, which was um, of Flamengo, 18-year-old superstar, Renier for I think it's about 30 million euros I think it's somewhere yeah, in the region of to 30. Um, yeah, that's right. and they've beaten they beat off obviously Barca Atletico Madrid PSG and Man City for the signature so um, yeah I mean he's known for his power his long distance shooting playing as a second striker he could be seen as the as the, as the sort of Benzema uh, Benzema replacement I guess I mean it's he's one of those sort of players I get I mean I don't know how he'll fit alongside Luka Jovic who they signed from Frankfurt in the summer um, but I mean Archie do you think he's I mean I, I guess he's got quite a lot of promise he's, he, he looks like a player that could be something special I think so I, um, I think but, um, Real Madrid are, are starting to bring through quite a lot of young players and uh, as Matthew's in, in Madrid right now I, I was in in Madrid uh, before Christmas and I was at, at a bar watching the, the last Classico in December surrounded by Real fans and I remember thinking, watching that game, which was at Camp Nou, I just couldn't believe how much Real Madrid dominated that game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Real fans left absolutely devastated that the team hadn't picked yeah. up hadn't picked up the points. Um, I think with the league being so tight, it, it could actually come down to the, the Clasicos. And uh, Real Madrid will certainly be buoyed by, by the performance at, at, the, at the Camp Nou. Yeah, no, that's... 
Uh, it will be, and so that's definitely one of the tighter leagues of of um, of the European leagues at the moment. Certainly more tight than the, than the French league and, and and the English league, that's for sure. Um, it's probably a good time for us to, to to move on to. I mean, there was there are obviously a few other topics that we can touch on in a, a later date to to do with our Liga, but we have got to look at Serie A, which. I think we can all confidently say it's probably not our strongest point, um, but you know we can't we can't ignore the Italian league, and there are so many just balmy stories that come out of Serie A every single week. Um, I mean, this season has been probably the season to forget for La Liga, uh, rather Serie A officials, because I mean we were speaking about it before we turned on the pod about how so Balotelli on, this, on the weekend for um, uh, for Brescia uh, got sent off two yellow cards in the space of just under a minute in their two-all draw against Cagliari. Um, the first of which was um, for a high boot and the second of which was descent. And the descent is, is, is sort of plays into the, the next point, which is to do with you can't escape the fact that the Serie A has been played with racism the entire the entire season. Um, Balotelli has been victim of it, the major victim, I'd say, uh, or the poster boy of the, of the victim, I guess, um, for much of the season. He, he was booed off or, or, or jeered um, and monkey chants were directed at him um, throughout the throughout the season, really. So, I mean, probably his sending off is, I know he is seen as a bad boy, Archie, but um, you can say that his, his sending off is probably indicative of the way in which the frustration he feels at being not really protected in this area, which is obviously his home league. He's a, he's an Italian by, by birth, and or rather by being brought up in Italy. So yeah, well, I think you only have to look at the these supposed anti-racism campaign that that the league came out with earlier this season, featuring featuring uh, images of of monkeys, and I think the whole football world was just in in disbelief that they thought that this was sending out a, a positive message. I think several of the the leading clubs in Italy just as well expressed their bewilderment at, at this uh, campaign and I think when you've got the the people in charge of the league who are so oblivious to the like potential racist connotations of uh, of monkey images that that's indicative of of the what's really a societal problem within Italy which unfortunately is manifested every week in the in the stands and I think for for someone like like Balotelli, you're thinking what what can you actually do when you're being subjected to this vile abuse on a, a weekly basis? Is are we going to have to uh, get a situation where where matches are just completely called off until this this stops? I think that's that's a question that the authorities have to answer. Although perhaps they're not the best people to, to be making <laughs> yeah, these unfortunately decisions. Not, no. Yeah, um, we ha- we should probably have a look at um, uh, Inter's transfer policy as well because. Um, it's a really rather bizarre one. I mean, it kind of looks a bit like they're trying to recreate, I guess, like maybe an English Premier League winning side from 2011 or something because they've they signed Ashley Young on, a, I think it was about £1.4 million pounds, uh, on a six-month contract with the potential to extend it an extra 12 months. Uh, Ashley Young, I think, is about 34. Um, they've just, or I think they, I don't know if they've just about closed it off, but, they, but certainly Victor Moses was in for a medical th- this morning. On a, on a loan from Fenerbahce where he was on a loan from, from Chelsea um, and then obviously they're trying to sign this this Chris, Chris, obviously Christian Eriksen um, which has kind of been a bit of a transfer sort of I mean I, I, I can't even think of the word really Saga Saga is exactly the word I was going to say Balaga but that's not that's not a word but um but it's it's uh, and Eriksen obviously is a, a fantastic player but um perhaps a lot better two seasons, three seasons ago than, I mean, the past seasons or season and a half has has not been uh, probably the, the the hallmark of a, of a good player or a good good attacking player. Uh, they've also slipped up in the one all draw against uh, away at Lecce. I mean, lowly Lecce. Um, Mattia, do you see Inter? I mean, you thought we'd think with Antonio Conte um, being at the helm, this would be the season that they could really push an aging Juve. Um, do you think that they're that they're kind of slipping off, and that do you find do you not find the transfer policy a bit just odd? Yeah, the, the transfer policy, the, the transfer policy seems quite odd. Now, I mean, I've got the, the table in front of me, and, and Inter Milan um, being second, uh, only four points behind Juventus. Um, it, that's quite impressive. I had not expected that. I mean, they've they've won fourteen or twenty games this year. Um, I think Ericsson would be a great addition. I mean, I, Young is is a bit of a mystery. Um, I do think that Ericsson would be would be someone who, who could really bring to, to them in, in terms of creativity. 
Um, but I, I think that the Inter Milan could be in with a shout um, with, with the league, considering they, they didn't qualify in the Champions League. Um, they've got an easy draw in Europa League against Ludo Goretz, I think. Um, and, you know, so I'm sad to say that the Juventus uh, are going to be focusing on Champions League. Why am I sad? Is that because they, they're playing Lyon in the last 16, um, which could be a bit of an issue for us. But uh, Inter Milan, uh, unlike their other Milan team, AC Milan, um, <laughs> I think you're being treated a bit unfairly by you. Um, I think maybe we should be talking about AC Milan's recruitment policy um, ahead of anything else. Yeah. Because Inter Milan have, have settled on the podium. And they're outlasting teams like Napoli and AC Milan who are just completely failing to to rise up in the last decade now. Um, this is Inter Milan's breakout year after a few tough Yes, so, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I also, I mean, obviously yeah. the the fallout from from AC Milan, who's, I mean, financial dealings have been well described, well documented, and also obviously Napoli dropping off a cliff a bit um, has kind of allowed for um, Lazio's rise um, to kind of, I mean, pretty close up. Then I think they're only about uh, six points off the top of the table with a game in hand against Juve so um, and Lazio have won 11 of the last 12 games Charlie do you think they, they can pose a, a real fight I mean I guess um, the last team and we'll talk about the SP, SPL in a, in a bit um, the last team they they sort of was a high profile loss to was against Celtic but since then they've just been on an absolute fire well I think it's always difficult you know when you mention teams in the same um, breath as Celtic you know European powerhouse <laughs> of Scottish football <laughs> The list collides of 1967. I think it's unfair to compare a lot of these teams to uh, such an illustrious club. But we'll gloss over that one. Um, I think in terms of um, Syria in itself, I don't think I I can't really see them getting over and getting past Juve. I mean, if you look at Ronaldo, as you mentioned a bit earlier, he's aging, but he's he's got 16 goals by game week 20, which is his best since the La Liga campaign of 2015-2016 where he also scored 16 so he's aging but it doesn't really seem like he's aging um, like the rest of us Um, you combine that with just their know-how you know their will and desire to get over the line I think irrespective of the Champions League campaign and potentially getting past Lyon and you know further on into the competition (laughs) sorry (laughs) Matthew I just can't see how Napoli, um, Lazio or any of the other contenders are going to be able to get past that just know-how and that desire to win that's just throughout embedded in that Juventus squad from from 1 to 11. So I don't really see it going any other way than, than back to the old lady. No, And I guess that, that does lead, the old lady leads us to quite nicely into the Scottish Premier League. <laughs> just, before, just before we're going to do that, I mean, I finished my, my drink, so I'm going to get a quick, a quick another one. Which will obviously cut out in, yeah. <laughs> in the thing. Um, do you need? Do you guys need anything? Well, don't, worry, don't worry. This is going to be cut off, by the way, Matthew. Just um, yeah, like, <laughs> um, that. yeah um, it's uh, really nice. Like it's it flat, but it's, it's, it's very it's, drinkable. Yeah, it really. Yeah, sure. Actually, uh, so you done yours as well? Yes. I went for a very sus joke there. Oh, no, Can't good. complain that, about a virgin. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Gotta get that could get cut too fair. We might get we might get demonetized yeah, for that. What? My virgin joke. <laughs> what do you think of the bit? I'm just going to send it and see what, what he says. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think it's interesting what you say about the winning no I actually think um, that's one of the reasons Inter Man are doing so well this year is because they've, they've just bedded no, in the shit, it, it, like think, loads of shit players that have won. No, but of, well, that's not really the case. Obviously, they've, they've brought in Lukaku and everyone focuses on him because he's scored so many goals. But I think the most astute signing was actually Godin from uh, from Atletico no one mentions that exactly no one mentions that and I can't believe how because he's been the linchpin of arguably the best defence in Europe over the past decade well not even arguably like and I, I think it's like Jimenez. his his leadership at, at the back has been a huge like, huge factor in uh, Inter Milan rising up the table and then obviously you've got the goals with Lukaku and then the young Argentinian striker Martinez like a, a yeah. very able deputy so I I could see them they, they could push yeah. you've also got their rivals having signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic which yes. I just think is genius nine minutes into his debut scores another goal 
Absolutely. I mean, they needed it. They I mean, definitely ACL, needed, yeah, I mean, needed it. After twenty, I mean, it's brilliant. After twenty odd games, their top scorer in the league is their their right back with five goals. It's yeah, just, and this and this shocking. is the slightly worrying thing about how Spurs want to sign um, AC's Piontek who um, was of Genoa, scored loads of goals for Genoa, went to Milan and has done nothing. <laughs> and just and we're like, yeah, come on then. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah. Um, he was rumoured with Leon, and Leon fans didn't want him. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, I think Leon have got never good got pedigree. Never linked with Hibs. <laughs> never linked with Hibs. Um, okay, uh, Arch, you can talk loud. Don't be afraid to talk louder because obviously you're further away from the mm-hmm. from the mic. So that's why I'm moving it towards you. But yes, as a, as a marker, mm-hmm. uh, this green line here, if you see your if you see it, basically you can push up towards like the kind of when it gets to kind of yellow. Okay. But don't yeah. shout, obviously, just just yeah. project. Um, okay, um, and we're back in. Um, we took a little bit of a beer break uh, to get a, a second Virgin, virgin. <laughs> <laughs> which. Um, which has really gone down quite well. It's quite. It's really. I mean, it's very flat. We've all this, we've all said it's it's very flat. Very but, drinkable. But very drinkable. Um, which is almost I don't know slightly worrying, particularly with the football after tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we'll move on swiftly to Archie's bread and butter, yes. which is the Scottish Premiership. Champagne um, football. Champagne football. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how? Just just a question. I mean, obviously we've had. So many years of, of, of basically Celtic running away with it. It's been eight eight titles in a row now, hasn't it? Yes. Where and they've done the triple triple for the last um, three for seasons, the last three seasons and, and, and smashed out the park. How competitive is the Scottish Premiership this year? Well yeah, as as you alluded to, the, the Scottish Premiership has really struggled since the, the liquidation of Rangers back in, in two thousand twelve. That's led to, to Celtic winning eight titles pretty much unchallenged. Um, but having said that, this year uh, it really is back at probably the strongest it's been in, in well over a decade. I think the the huge gap between Celtic and Rangers and the, the chasing pack, which is now over 20 points, that's the first indication of, of how good those two sides are now. But probably the, the best market is how successfully they've both done in the European campaigns this year. I think when, when the Europa League group stages were drawn and Celtic were drawn against the likes of Lazio and Wren and, and Rangers were, were with uh, Feyenoord and, and Porto. Not many people actually gave either of them much of a chance of qualifying but Celtic uh, beat Lazio home and away as well as beating Wren at home who are third place in, in Ligue 1 at the moment. Uh, while Rangers managed to get a draw in, in Porto and, and then won the return game at, at Ibrox. I think those those results, those kind of results, are a really good barometer of just how much the the two clubs have progressed in yeah. in recent years. Do you think it's helped that that Steve and Gerard come in? I mean, obviously, it's like the classic trope of uh, Gerard's come in. He's kind mm-hmm. of built built the profile up a bit. But obviously, a, a Liverpool legend, a huge player for England, as that as him coming in and him sort of geeing up the 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 Rangers side that have been so, much maligned for so many years. Um, obviously because of the financial liquidation and because of um, all the other troubles on and off the field um, do you think that has really helped just raise the bar and just raise the profile of, of, of the Premiership this year? Yeah well I think the name of Steven Gerrard in itself has been a massive boost for Rangers because it's allowed them to to sign players that previously they, they probably wouldn't have been able to for example um, this year they, they managed to sign Ryan Kent for £9 million from, from Leeds he's a player who was on loan last year at Rangers and they managed to sign him on a permanent uh, sorry from, from Liverpool and Leeds were also after his signature this mm. summer so I think the fact that Rangers are able to to compete with with like size right at the top of the championship with all of their purchasing power is a, a big indication of how much of a pool Steven Gerrard is because so many of the the young players nowadays will have grown up idolizing Gerrard so I think the opportunity to to work with their hero is is too big for most of them to resist yeah and uh, I guess obviously Celtic and Rangers have got some very big European ties ahead mm-hmm. of them Charlie you've got um, some nice links to Celtic obviously um, how far do you think Celtic and Rangers um, can pro- uh, how far do you think they'll progress in the in the Europa League well I think the Europa League is obviously a very interesting competition as it always is coming into this time of the season there's a lot of European heavyweights that are still in the still in there like Inter United Sevilla and obviously Arsenal 
Um, so did you say heavyweights? Big heavyweights. <laughs> big, big heavyweights. I don't know if we can count Arsenal's heavyweight there. Big, Surely big not. European heavyweights <laughs> with great history within the European competitions as a whole. Um, but I, I mean, I'd like to think through slightly green-tinted glasses that Celtic <laughs> are going to be able to progress. And honestly, I think they will. I mean, you look at the performance they put in home and away at Lazio and you look at the fortress that Celtic Park is, particularly on a European Cup night. Mm-hmm. You look at what Messi, Xavi and Iesta said, if they, could play in, if they could only play in one stadium or one atmosphere ever again, it would be Celtic Park on a Champions League night. And having been lucky enough to have gone to a few of those games, you know, the ferocity, the high, the high, high um, stands that surround the pitch, it truly is like the fans are on top of the players. So if you're a Celtic fan or a player, it's an enormous boost to you comparatively for a lot of these clubs that won't have necessarily played against Celtic or you know against Celtic in a big European night I think it could potentially be overwhelming which is a massive factor because I could easily see Celtic now being you know a two or three nil win at home and just grinding out a result because if you look at how they've done in the league for example in the Scottish Cup final against Rangers where they were completely outclassed Fraser Forster put in a sensational performance in net, but ultimately they won the game having you know been completely outclassed and outplayed for 90 minutes. Yeah, and it's it reminds me a little bit of the Mourinho of old, where mm-hmm. you get your result at home and you park the bus and you just you concede the one the one nil away from home because on aggregate you go through. Um, I think Rangers as well the progress that they've had, and you only need to look at the. Um, the fixtures, particularly against Celtic, as, as their main rivals in terms of class and everything, they've been there's a marked improvement this season. I mean, Alfred Morelos, for all his faults, is a phenomenal, phenomenal footballer yeah. who does know one how to wind up the opposition, but two, more importantly, <laughs> that, that sure. how to score a goal. And mm-hmm. he scores goals like it's going out of fashion. And I think that you know having a goal scorer in in a rich vein of form going into this stage in these competitions is vital and Rangers have that. So I could easily see them progressing at least another round, if not mm-hmm. two. So we've, I mean, I guess we spent quite a lot of time on, on the Glasgow side of things, Glasgow yes. Celtic, Glasgow Rangers. It would yes. be remiss of us, <laughs> considering we have an Edinburgh boy in here. I mean, it doesn't sound like it. I was it. gonna say, the accent disguises it well. It does disguise it very well. Um, but um, we, sh- we should probably turn to your side and, and, and I guess, obviously their city rivals Hearts. Firstly, looking at Hibs, mm-hmm. um, what have we made of their season so far? I, th- I think, Unfortunately, after Dunny and I went to watch the season opener, uh, opener against St Mirren, which was a, a 1-0 victory. That was a classic, too. It, it, it was a classic, 85-minute <laughs> winner, Dunny. Lovely day for it. Du- uh, it, 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 it was beautiful sunshine. Um, but uh, yeah, following that, we, we went on a, a really poor run of results, which ended up in, in Paul Heckingbottom getting the sack. But since then, we've, uh, we've brought in Jack Ross, who followers of English football might recognised from his recent stint at Sunderland and since he's come in results have on the whole really picked up we in in December we had really impressive victories over Aberdeen at home and then the the Boxing Day derby at at Tynecastle against Hearts so I think now rather than looking below us we are really targeting the the top four positions now and um, and European qualification Mm. no I mean I guess was it now you're sixth? It's a, it's a yeah. It's a decent we're, yeah, we're yeah. So we're in in sixth now, um, and we've got Motherwell and, and Aberdeen currently occupying third and fourth position, yeah. which are the ones we're going for. And they they do have quite a big gap over us at the moment, mm. about uh, twelve points. So it's it's going to be difficult. But I think if we can if we can get some decent signings in over the the rest of the January transfer window, I think we should be able to do it. No, and I, I guess also, I mean, obviously, got got to look at Hearts as well. Yeah, I mean, what has what's really happened to them? Because well, they're rock bottom, aren't they? I think to be honest, that's the the biggest surprise of the season. Um, I think when you when you're reviewing the the chances of Premiership teams at the start of every league, you always just presume Hearts will be in the top half of the table just because of their their huge budget and in comparison to the majority of the teams. But this year, they've they've really really struggled. Again, like Hibbs, they've they've had a, a change of manager, but the yeah the the appointment of Jack Ross for Hibbs seemed to get us moving up the table, whereas their appointment of Daniel Stendel hasn't really affected much change at all, if yeah. any. And and they're now 
sitting in a situation where they're five points adrift at the bottom of the table yeah. and, and the reality is that they're they're stuck in the midst of a relegation mm. dogfight and I think the yeah, the, their predicament is pretty bleak. They'll be relying on the, the goals of, of Stephen Naismith to to get them up the table. But I think at, at this stage, um, yeah, they are really in, in trouble. Yeah. It's a shame as well because I quite like um, Stendhal because, I don't know, he was he used to be at Barnsley. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if anyone's seen, but after he got sacked from Barnsley, he went on a night out with the Barnsley fans and they obviously loved him, I think, because he took them up to the championship, and I think he might have got them relegated again, but they weren't expected to stay up. Um, but you can just, I think he's kind of gone a night out of his videos on, on social media, or whatever, of him just completely smashed, just having the time of his life chanting Barnsley songs. So he seems like a really, a really decent bloke, <clears throat> but um, but unfortunately, it's just not not working, not working his magic at, uh, at hearts. Mathieu, do you follow much uh, SPL or? Are you? Uh... I've, got to, I've got to admit that that is that is a big gap in my, in my football. <laughs> and you will be forgiven for that. <laughs> yeah. I always like preference for Rangers over Celtic. Whenever there's the old firm, that's literally the only game I'll follow. Yeah, I, I'm. I must confess, it's quite bad. But I, I also I prefer Rangers only because I like blue over green, which is not a good. Shocking. Not a Shocking good. Logic. Not a good reason. Shocking <laughs> and decisions. The same for me. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I obviously obviously keep a keen eye because of this podcast. We keep a keen eye on on, on the Scottish Premier League, and, and and I mean, it was the cup this weekend, but um, but yeah, Rangers for me, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, we should move swiftly on to the Bundesliga, which apparently is what I'm meant to know, um, having spent some time in Germany. Um, and there are, there, I mean, there are so many stories to come out of the Bundesliga this this weekend. Um, I presume, I, I guess, all of you guys have seen. Uh, I mean, we all know Erling Braut Haaland, who um, the Norwegian striker who, who's come from um, Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian league. He's been absolutely smashing goals in for um, for the side there, and he's moved over to um, to the Bundesliga to Dortmund for about 18 million euros, I think. Um, and he was on the bench to start off in, in the game against Augsburg. Um, I think it was Augsburg. It better be Augsburg. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Augsburg. I think it was as well. I think better be. And um, and I mean, Augsburg went three one up in the about the fiftieth minute, which is uh, even though they were at home, it's disastrous for Dortmund. I mean, Dortmund have basically played the ball around from the back and just getting themselves in trouble. Um, a phenomenal team, but just not. Lucien Favre has them doing some absolutely balmy things um, at times, and then he brings on about Harland in the fifty sixth minute. To which then Haaland scores a hat trick in 23 minutes with a Jaden Sancho goal in between there, and um, they end up winning uh, 5-3, which is really phenomenal. I mean, what a, what a start to to um, to his Bundesliga career. I, I don't know if you saw it, Mathieu, the uh, the highlights or uh, the game, but I mean, he he's he's a lumbering centre forward. He's like a kind of old school centre forward. He's he's quite quick. He's deceptively quick, but. Um, I mean, he just has an eye for goal. I mean, it's the classic saying. He just knows where the goal is. His first goal was instinctive. Second goal was a nice little tap-in, which was great play from uh, from Hazard, talking Hazard, um, to round the keeper. And then there's third as well. He just kind of knows that even though he's not the quickest, he's not the most beautiful on the eye, he just knows where the goal is. He's got the, He has the ball under his feet and he can just he can just put it away and, slot and just scores hatfuls of goals. Did you, did, you, did you catch that match yeah. here or, or did you catch the game? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. Um, no, I mean, he, he, is, he is really special. And, and actually, you know, the, the, to start off in your new club like that with that kind of pressure, it's just, I mean, it's just like film fiction kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but he has, a, he has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Um, I remember the, the game where Liverpool played Salzburg in the, in the, towards the end of the group stages. Um, and everyone was talking about him and everyone seem to be ready to watch the Salzburg game um, and judge him on, on 90 minutes. And actually, there was quite a lot of criticism. And I, um, I, I had seen him play quite a lot in the Champions League this year in a few games in the, in the Austrian League in highlights. Um, and to see him do so well there, I mean, he's, he's got everything it takes. Um, and surrounded by players that surround him in, in Dortmund, um, he's a nice... He's a nice complement to the kind of fire and flair that they have, like Sancho and Hazard. 
Um, and I mean, if obviously if he keeps going like this, he's going to bag a lot of goals, and I can definitely see him see him bagging a lot of goals this year uh, from the from the onset. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of the the kind of player that um, that Dortmund have been missing. Uh, they've got Paco Alcacer up front, but apart from that, they haven't really had a, a, a sort of number nine, a big target man to, to focus to focus their sort of attack on. I think that's been the major issue because they've also they've often seemed a bit like they've got great ideas, they've got fantastic players in Sancho, Hazard, um, they've got Witzel that, that solidifies that centre midfield kind of area, um, but they've not really got the uh, they've obviously got Julian Brandt as well that they signed from uh, Leverkusen. Um, but they haven't they haven't ever had that kind of guy that focal point through which to to sort of pinpoint their attacks to and, and I guess particularly as a, as a, as a sort of superstar like coming off the bench or at least just a player to I mean he'll have to start next game um, it just gives them another option which they haven't had for for some seasons now almost since I guess Lewandowski left them um, yeah that's what I was gonna say he he seems like what they've been ex- waiting for since Lewandowski has left I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of a number nine. Um, that's really exciting for Dortmund. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we touched on it earlier. Um, Dortmund have PSG in uh, in their last 16 of the Champions League. Archie, how do you see that one going? I mean, obviously a tough question, but... Well, uh, yeah, just on, on Holland, it's interesting. I, I came across him at quite an early stage because a few years ago, when Hibs were playing in the Europa oh, League qualifiers, of course. We, we actually we came up against um, the Norwegian side, Molde, mm. who he was playing for at the time uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And everyone was raving about him before the game. And yeah, uh, surprise, surprise, he pops up with two goals and knocks us out. And I think it, it was very clear from that stage of the... Yeah, well, f- from that game that he was far too good for that level. But I, I don't think many people could have foreseen the yeah his his rise. It's been absolutely meteoric. It's been astro- yeah, astronomical. Um, so I I do think that he adds a lot to to the Dortmund attack. Obviously, um, UEFA have changed their their rules, so he will be able to to play for Dortmund in the in the Champions League uh, last sixteen, despite having played for Salzburg. So I I think with him in attack, they're going to cause PSG serious problems. However, when when you think about their defensive record, Dortmund have the worst defensive record of any of the the top seven teams in the Bundesliga, and I think when you're coming up against the likes of Icardi, Neymar, Mbappe, they're just not going to have enough to stop them. Yeah, I can see that as well. Um, Danny, how do you feel about Dortmund? I mean, I guess obviously they have got a lot of firepower, but they just lack in they lack in defence, and I think PSG will. I mean, I think we all will probably agree that PSG have a bit too much for them. I think PSG definitely have too much for them. And if you look at Dortmund, just irrespective of that, you know, their results domestically, they're not even really competing. Particularly, it's actually Leipzig that seem to be the favourites to challenge Munich to the title, which again, potentially somewhat is a foregone conclusion. But I think when you can't even compete domestically, it's a massive challenge to compete, you know, at that higher level in Champions League. The flip side of that is it may give them the freedom to really go out and push for the Champions League because the Bundesliga is arguably out of their reach. So it may give them a real impetus to go on and you know upset a few teams. And they do have the players for it mm-hmm. and they do have the experience for it. It's just whether or not they can, uh, you know, big topic, you know, this evening, grind out a result away from home. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, as Archie said, I don't see it happening. You know, PSG are just too good at home and their players are in just too good too good rate of form so did you say there Danny that you think it's a foregone conclusion that Bayern are going to win the Bundesliga this year I think long term yeah oh, although it, Leipzig are pushing them I think long term I do just see Munich because it, the yeah because currently obviously Leipzig are four points clear and if they're able yes. to, to keep on to Timo Werner in particular this January and do you not think that, that they could pose a, a serious threat? I think it's definitely going to be a serious threat. But, you know, much like we've touched on in a few of the other leagues, I just think Bayern Munich, they are just born and they do just breed winners. And when push comes to shove, they're going to be able to uh, grind out those results potentially slightly more than a younger or the very exciting Leipzig side. Which, again, 
could be a topic at some point. It's just the whole Red Bull footballing empire. You know, their teams, or their Salzburg team, the Leipzig team, you know, over in the States. I think they are building a footballing empire. And, you know, given the, uh, some would suggest coordination between, or potential coordination between the two teams, they definitely could become a superpower in world football. Um, but again, they don't really have the fan base or potentially the passion that a club like Bayern Munich um, garners, and particularly in Bavaria, where Munich are based, you know the players really appreciate what it means to represent and wear the shirt, the history that comes with it. Which I think, you know, in those tough times when you need to grind out a result, you're not just doing it for yourself and for your wages. You're doing it for the fans, and you're doing it because you appreciate and respect the history and those that have gone before you. And I think that actually could become a massive factor in that final stretch at the end of the season. The one thing I would say is that for all people have been raving about Lewandowski this season, Timo Werner has scored just as many goals in the league as him. And because of his like standout performances this season, you see all of the, the Premier League size, are, they're swooping in like vultures. And I think it's clear that this is the last season that, that this current Leipzig team are going to have the opportunity to really challenge for the league. So possibly that could, that could be a, a uniting force that does... Um, spur them on to to push for the title, but I I agree that I think the the experience of of buying the the winning mentality, just the the know how of of um, of winning the leagues, should stand them in in good stead. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean, how do you which way do you see it, Matteo? Because obviously you have Leipzig; they've literally been a club for eleven years, which is just be just balmy to think um, that they've only been around since two thousand and nine. Um, they don't really have, as as Danny said, the history and the and the tradition uh, to to kind of forge a, a really long term sort of title race that is kind of inextricably linked with their fans and and the history and and what has come before. But they are a phenomenal team. Timo Werner has been just stunning with twenty goals this season already. Um, do you think? Do you think it'll be? Do you think Bayern Munich under Hansi Flick, where they've been? To be fair, they have been better. They've been more. They've been more easy on the eye. They've got Coutinho playing well. They've got Lewandowski, who's scoring. You know, he scored twenty goals as well. He's got a hatful of goals. They've got some youngsters coming in through Xerxes, who's been excellent. Um, which way do you see it going? Do you see? Do you see Leipzig or do you see uh, Munich or, or even a Gladbach? I guess who have dropped off recently, but they've um, uh, particularly after losing two 0 but um, to Schalke. But which way do you see it's going, uh, it going, uh, Mathieu? I'm, really, I'm taking the safe option, and I, I think Bayern. I just can't see. I can't see Bayern losing it this year. Um, as you said, they've recovered well after a, a dodgy start. Um, I think they're only four points behind Leipzig, um, and I think as I, as both Archie and Daniel have said, I think it, it could be a tight one. Um, but I, I, I'm backing Bayern for, for the depth that they have the consistency that they have and also the experience um, it seems like every year in the past years Dortmund were the ones to, to make everyone think at Christmas that maybe this could be the year that Bayern wouldn't win it um, mm. and it just always feels like by the end of February um, without making much noise suddenly Bayern are back five points ahead six points ahead um, and I'm pretty confident that, that by the end of February early March uh, Bayern will be back on top and back in control um, but I hope that it will stay tight and it will have a big title race. Yeah, um, I, 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 def- I, can buy it. I definitely agree. Um, it, it's probably good to know, just a, a, just an odd fact, probably an odd, an odd sort of piece of trivia that, that's come up over the weekend. Um, obviously, Bayern Munich beat F- Hertha Berlin 4-0 on the weekend. Um, Jürgen Klinsmann, who was chosen or, or I guess selected as um, announced as the new Hertha Berlin manager in November... Um, has had this sort of ongoing thing. It's been under under the wraps. Obviously, Jurgen Klinsmann is is a great. He's a legend. He's he's he led um, Germany in in their home World Cup. Um, he basically didn't have the right coaching license to coach in the Bundesliga, um, which he said was in his draw in his home in San Francisco, which is probably the most like kind of my dog in my home world. Yeah, yeah, my the most like ex pro kind of. <laughs> trying to get out of it <laughs> sort of thing oh yeah sorry it's just in the drawer somewhere in my 15th home in San Fran but um, but yeah I guess he's not he's not had the impact that probably he would have liked probably because he doesn't have the coaching badges <laughs> but um, he's not got the qualifications to do it but um, uh, but yeah it, it's been a tough old ride for, for Jürgen Klinsmann and Hertha Berlin I guess particularly considering 
they've been the only Berlin side, the only side that in, in the capital that uh, for so long now, for the entirety of the Bundesliga, until this year where Union, which is just full of an unbelievable club, which it's worth saying, they were in financial trouble a few years ago. And in Germany, you get paid to get uh, to give blood. So all their fans went and gave blood. And then all the money that they earned, they gave straight back to the club so that they could keep the club afloat, which is just an incredible, an incredible thing for a club to do, which is why on their first game of the season, they had a TIFO, like a big a sort of, um, I mean, what is it? A TIFO, a banner, a big banner, I guess, um, with a, with a, with a club, with the, with two hands clasping a, a heart, um, which is why, which is, it just typifies the kind of, the, the, the sort of just loyalty and, and, and belief surrounding Union, uh, as opposed to Hertha, which has always just been this nearly kind of club, this kind of joke of German football, almost like Hamburg, where they've not been able to, they've got, a big running track round the pitch, which is like the same thing at West Ham, where it doesn't create a great atmosphere. I mean, there was a cup tie in November, um, in the beginning of November, late October, where Hertha Berlin played Dynamo, Dynamo Dresden at home, and Dresden brought thirty-five thousand fans into the stand for for the away side. There were more, there were more hurt, there were more Dresden fans than there were Hertha fans, pretty much. In in a hurt home game, hurt home game, which is just incredible to think, but um, but yeah, that's that's a club also that that we probably should be keeping mindful of, I guess. Cologne and and Paderborn are sort of down at the bottom. Mines as well are struggling. Augsburg, Dusseldorf, they're all clubs that are all uh, having difficulties. But Hertha could get drawn into that if they are not careful. Um, we're just about running out of time, so it's probably our, the best thing to do is to head straight onto our player of the week. Um, I'll go first. <laughs> Considering I've got it right in front of me and it's quite easy, um, Haaland he scored a hat trick. I mean, the Germans don't technically count it as a hat trick because apparently in Germany you have to score a hat trick in one half and no one has to score in between. He scored it in one half, but Sancho scored in between. But just ridiculous, just the, the most absurd thing ever. But um, but we'll count it as a hat trick. It's a triple pack uh, in German. Um, so Haaland, who, who had the most phenomenal debut, um, Archie in the in the Scottish. Uh, I guess the Scottish Cup, is it? Yeah, yeah. As you alluded to earlier, um, there, there weren't any Scottish Premiership games this weekend due to the the third round of the the Scottish Cup, and there's only there's only one player that this can go to, and that's Motherwell's Chris Long. Surprise, not a hit player. I know, I know. <laughs> not, not. I'm not wearing green tinted glasses like Donny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Motherwell they they won three 0 at at uh, Dundee, and Chris Long scored all. All three goals. The second, in particular, wow. was a, a really good finish from outside of the box. And uh, to be honest with you, Motherwell are probably the the surprise package of the league this season. They're currently sitting in third place after finishing in the in the bottom half of the table last season. And Chris Long and, and his goals are, are a really big factor behind that. Danny, La Liga. Who's your man? Well, there was no real standout performance. An obvious contender, like both of you. But I'm going to give it to the magic man, Messi, who, um, despite overwhelming um, their opponents at times, it was no foregone conclusion. And as per everything that went right came from Messi, and it was ultimately his goal that decided the fixture. So I'm going to give it to him because everything he touched was just magical. Just a magic player. And Mathieu, finally, last but definitely not least, what would you say, who would you say is your, your Ligue 1, or I guess French football player of the week? Well, this wraps it up nicely because this is where we began. Um, it's, it's got to be Ryan Shirky, and that's not me being biased. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, no. Every week. Um, no, no, he was on the front page of the key on Sunday morning. Uh, he's got two to assist. Uh, never a 16-year-old does that. That's special. Um, he, was, he was unbelievable, and especially when your team went 4-3 and you were directly involved in all four goals. Um, it's hard not to be the player of the week, so... Born in two thousand and three as well. I mean, that is kind of sickening. That that feels. At the start of the year, he was fifteen. When he played in a friendly in August, he was still fifteen. It's just so so upsetting in so many ways. I feel like my career might just be gone, but I don't know. I still could have a chance. (laughs) But no. yeah, and then I guess obviously last. Well, the very last thing is is to is to to rate the beer or to at least have a have a a conclusion about the beer. I think this is a good one to start off with. It was a very good I mean, beer to start. I'm biased considering I bought it, but um... best virgin you've ever known, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely got to be up there. To be fair, very thoroughly enjoyable. 
Um, and yeah, not too frisky, which for a Tuesday night, it's probably no bad thing. That is definitely. Uh, Mathieu, how was your staple beer? My staple beer was lovely. I, I was wondering if we managed to exhaust all the virgin jokes, but we haven't. No, no, definitely not. We're all 12-year-old boys at heart. <laughs> I know. I'll try, I'll try to, uh, to give my, the, the virgin a go before the next podcast. So yeah, you'll have to. I mean, the thing is, it's a Madrid lager, but I think it's produced... It's from Australia. Yeah, which is... Uh, I didn't read, but apparently <laughs> it's... Uh, I saw Madrid lager, thought you might be close to it, but... Um, well, all the writing is in Spanish. So, yeah. So it would suggest that it is not I, I, I appreciate the effort, and I apologise for letting the team No, down. no, you did, you did a sterling effort. Sweet. Well, thank you very much all for listening, um, all of those that listened. Um, we are going to be back next week, hopefully. Um... If, if people if people choose popular demand we hope um, but yeah if you have any questions or get or comments or anything that you you, you want to say about the pod uh, email email us at uh, I think it will be we're going to say pub talk Durham at yahoo.com which is an email address that will be formed two minutes after this podcast is comes out um, <laughs> uh, and you'll get a mention on our next pod and we'll uh, and we'll answer your your question but yeah thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now cheers Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.